If you have a Bible with you, uh, I want to invite you to open up to Ephesians chapter 4. All right, if you don't have a Bible, that's fine. It's going to be on the screen uh, behind me as well. Uh, last week, we started a new series that we're just calling From Me to We. All right, a line that you're going to hear often at our church is that uh, we consider ourselves to be a church family. So we say we are a church family. All right, but we want to talk about what does that actually mean? What does it mean to be a church family? Like, are, am I part of a church family just because I come on Sundays? Does that make me part of this family? Is there more that I have to do? Is there more that's expected of me? You know, growing up in my family, there was things expected of me. I, I had to do certain things. I had to put dishes away. I had to, okay, honestly, I actually didn't have a whole lot to do. I was the baby of the family, and my mom let me off. I, I was going to try and play this up like I did a lot. I didn't, and I realized that. My older sisters did a lot. All right, and then they also did a lot of complaining that I didn't do a lot, but they were accurate in that. Okay, but in a family, like, there's, there's expectations. We have expectations of the family. Family has expectations of you. What does this mean to be a church family? All right, and, and where we landed last week was that in the early church, uh, the church disciples started uh, uh, in this way where they did everything together. We decided, you know what, I don't think it's actually as much what they did. What they did was important, but how they did it was also important. And they did it together. And that's what it means to be part of a church family, is to do things together. Now, we don't live in the same world that they did, and sometimes that's more difficult in our world to do things together. You know, we don't share uh, resources. We don't all, like, put our money in one pot and then take from that. We don't live under one roof. We all have our own individual lives. So how do we do life together? And our challenge was to begin to find ways to share our lives with people. All right, not moving in together with people from the church, but just spending time together. Doing what the Apostle Paul had said, which is loving each other so much that not only do we share the good news, but we share our lives too. So hopefully this past week you're able to come up with some ideas of what it would look like for you to begin to share your life with other people. Uh, and hopefully even maybe you had a chance to start to live that out this last week. If not, I would encourage you, be praying about that, thinking about that, living your life with other people. All right, and I think this is vital for our church right now because uh, I just, in my prayer time, I've had two things that I've been feeling incredibly strongly about. Uh, and I feel like we are about to just kind of take off on what God has for us. But first we have to be ready. All right, and I just kind of got this, this image in my head. I, I ran track in high school, all right, not because I was fast or I enjoyed it, but because they missed a lot of school. All right, so if you wanted to join a sport, you joined track because you got to leave and miss class. All right, and so I was in track, and I was thinking of this time of, like, watching people who run. If you've ever been to a track meet or watch people, uh, watch the Olympics, something like that, they spend a lot of time stretching out. All right, they got to make sure that they're ready. And I feel like this last year for us, kind of figuring some of these things out, doing our building project, all of this was like stretching out for our church. Like, let's get ready for the race that we have. All right, but they don't go from stretching just to immediately firing the gun and taking off running. There's a moment where all the racers kind of come over and they meander over to their spots and they kind of stand in their lane and they just kind of take a big breath and they just kind of stand there and they kind of shake everything out. They get down into the blocks and they just kind of rest before they get into an actual ready position, the gun's fired and they take off sprinting. I feel like 
God is going to be firing this gun of just sending us sprinting on the mission that he has for us. But right now, the moment that we are in is that we need to just take a breath. This last year has been crazy. Building projects, COVID, all these different things. It's just been a crazy year. And we need to just kind of get into our lane, be looking at the race that's in front of us, and just kind of rest, take a breath, and be ready for what God has for us. And so I, I feel like this, becoming a community, becoming a church family, moving from me to we, is so vital in this rest moment that we have. All right, so I want us to uh, just kind of be ready for God to speak to us. If you would, if you're able across the place, would you stand to your feet as we just kind of read our passage that we're going to look at today uh, and then as we pray together. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse number 2. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. God, I pray this morning, Lord, that you would speak to us, God, that you would uh, just help us realize where is it that we are not really living as a family of God. God, that you would just kind of call that out in us, Lord, that you would speak to us this morning and that we would hear that. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right, you guys can take a seat. So last week, like I said, we spent time looking at the early church, what it meant for them to be a church family. All right, everything was shared, everything was done together, their lives were constantly intertwined. All right, and this is an amazing picture of a community that was, it, it was contagious, people wanted to be part of this community, but as time goes on and as the community grows and new voices, new people, new backgrounds are added, the church spreads to new cities, new areas, new countries, things become increasingly difficult for the early church. Not every place does things the same way. Uh, you're bound to have differences when you bring together different cultures. Uh, where there are differences, you often have disagreements. All right, and okay, fast forward 2,000 years. 2,000 years of adding new voices, new cultures, new ideas. Uh, we go through the Reformation of Martin Luther. All right, a major disagreement that happens there. All these big changes in the church. All right, according to the Center for the Study of Global Christianity, there are more than 45,000 different Christian denominations worldwide. All right, so Christian denominations, denominations that come from this early church, 45,000, all right? That's crazy. Obviously, some of this happens from different cultures, languages, and countries, but in the U.S. alone, there are more than 200 different Christian denominations. All right, now, if you've walked into multiple churches of the same denomination, you will probably realize and notice that they are not the same as each other either. Right, like every church is different. We have a lot of differences. What does all this mean? New denominations don't really just spring up for no reason. All right, it's, it's almost always because of some type of disagreement or differing of belief. All right, so I, I saw this cartoon a few years ago, and I love it. I absolutely love it. I want to show this to you. It's going to be on the screen behind me. Uh, in this cartoon, you have this, this teacher, and he's doing a membership class. And there's like a whiteboard that has all of these little... Um, like flow charts, okay? And it starts with one, 
and it breaks into, it just keeps breaking. Like one goes into three, three go into nine, keeps getting bigger, bigger, bigger. At the end, you have all these different ones. And you have this teacher that's up front, and he circles one little spot. And he says, and this is where our church came along and got the Bible correct. <laughs> and then you have this class that's sitting there, and this little kid, he's sitting there, and he just says, Jesus is so lucky to have us. And it's, it's this amazing idea of I just feel like that's how, that's how things work so often. Like that's our mindset that we are like, this, this is how it's going to work. Are we going to have it or no? No, we aren't. Oh, man, that's a bummer. Okay. It just skips for some reason. Okay, that's fine. Um, all right, so uh, this cartoon, this idea, I think so many denominations, so many churches, they, ha they have this idea. Like, we finally got it right. Everyone else has it wrong. Everyone before us, they were screwed up. Listen to us. We figured it out. All right, and that's kind of how we approach uh, some of these things. And, and some of these denominational differences, they've been amicable, you know, where, where things break off and everything's fine. It's like, okay, you believe what you believe. We believe what we do. It's good. But then you, you have things that, that are just terrible. You know, like back in the 90s with, with Northern Ireland and, and Ireland, and you have these Protestants and Catholics that are bombing and killing and kidnapping each other. You're like, holy cow, what, this escalated so quickly. Supposedly, we still all believe in the same thing. Remember, Jesus said this. He said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. That, that doesn't seem to really describe what has been happening in some of these. I think that Paul and the other disciples knew that disagreements between Christians could be a, a main source of, of the downfall of the church. And if you read through the epistles, which are kind of the letters in the New Testament, you read through those. Uh, they're written by the apostles to the earliest church. It is obvious that they knew that disunity, that conflict was going to be a problem. Because nonstop, the idea of unity is brought up over and over and over in protecting unity in the church. Now, when Paul talks about unity, he's talking about the unity between individuals in a specific church. But this, uh, this does translate to the bigger picture as well because all types of disunity on the big scale, it starts inside of individual people. Like, you're not going to have a denomination break off just randomly. Like, it starts with something inside of a person all right, and then it moves from one person to two, two to three, three to four, four to more. And it just keeps going down this path. Every piece of disunity started with one instance of conflict and grew from there. So based on how the early church leaders talked about unity, Christians should be the absolute best people in the world at dealing with conflict, right? Okay, I'm not seeing a lot of... We have 45,000 denominations to prove us otherwise, right? Like, we just aren't great at dealing with conflict. And we need to change this. As Christians, we need to understand how to resolve conflict in a God-honoring way, in a way that people on the outside of the church can look at us and still see the love of Jesus coming through amidst our disagreements. All right, that's the picture that is painted for us through the words of Jesus, the words of the apostles. This matters greatly. Because from what I can see, our world and the church with it is headed towards more areas of conflict, not less. I don't think that the next year is necessarily going to be easier than the last. We are going to continue to have conflict. So we need to get this right. And we need to be able to confront a conflict and not just let it go. All right, some of us, when it comes to conflict, we, we are passive-aggressive. We are the Minnesotan that is going to be super passive-aggressive. We're going to dance around it, say everything but the problem. 
to try and get someone to figure it out. And then we're like, geez, this idiot, they can't figure out that I'm trying to tell them there's a problem here. Even though we don't actually say it, right? We're passive aggressive or maybe we avoid it or we stuff it like way down, like I'm not going to deal with this or we whine about it or we pretend it didn't happen or we pretend that it was worse than what it was or we just gossip about it or we try and destroy everybody else involved. Like this is how conflict plays out so often and none of those are okay. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. All right, not blessed are the peacekeepers. We need to understand that sometimes. Sometimes to make peace, there has to be conflict that is dealt with. Peacekeeping is just avoiding everything and hoping it goes away. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. We have to deal with this conflict. This isn't about just trying to not disrupt the pretend peace that we think we have. All right. So most likely, if you've been in a church and you've heard anyone talk about conflict before, there's a certain passage that almost always comes up. I want us to look at it. Uh, Matthew 18. All right, so I'm going to read this quickly. Probably, I guess, is not going to be on the screen. Or it is. Ah, beautiful. All right, so we're going to read through this. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you, and go back again, so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. All right, so here's the mistake that most Christians make when trying to apply these verses to some type of conflict in our life. It's the same mistake that we often make with any verse. All right, and, and that is that we start to assign roles in the passage to ourselves and to the other people in our life before we really think it through. All right, and for this one, the, the mistake happens before the first sentence is even over. All right, we quickly assign the role in Scripture uh, to somebody. We, we look at this and we say, I'm the good guy. They're the bad guy. That, that's how we always want to think of this. So if there's a conflict, if I'm offended because of something, that means that the other person in this first line, sinned against me. How many of us know that just because you have a conflict or you get offended does not mean someone else sinned against you, right? Like, it may feel that way. We may want to think that, and we immediately jump into this. Like, they are, the, they are in the wrong here. And I need to gather other people to get on my side and see that I'm right and point out that they're wrong. All right, and we rarely point it out in a way that's going to be received well. And then we say, well, they didn't listen to me. I pointed it out, so now I'm going to bring more people with me. And we just start off in the wrong place. And quickly, uh, we begin to get into this mess of a conflict. All right, Matthew 18 isn't the first step in Christian conflict resolution. All right, don't open to this passage first. I want to give us four places to look when we are going through conflict. That this, this is how we need to walk this out. All right, the first step, if you're taking notes, I'm going to have four of these steps. All right, they were going to be on the screen. They probably won't be. The first step in dealing with conflict is to look at ourselves. To look at ourselves. Peacemaking starts with an internal examination. All right, conflict starts with offense, but not all offenses are sins, and not all offenses are even justified. We need to look at the situation, and we need to define what it is that we are actually upset about. All right, uh, then we need to just kind of be an adult and think through the situation. 
Here are some questions to ask yourself in this first step. You find yourself offended. You think there's conflict coming. Ask yourself some of these questions. Why am I offended? Am I offended just because of my personal opinion? And their personal opinion doesn't line up with mine. Is there a miscommunication that could be happening? The majority of conflicts happen because of a miscommunication. All right, and every married couple in the room says amen. All right, like the, the conflict just comes because I thought you were going to do this. You thought I was going to do that. Neither one of us said anything. And now we're in a fight. A miscommunication is a massive thing. All right, am I making any assumptions about what this person said or how they maybe meant it? Something that I started working on about the last half dozen years of my life was this idea of just assuming innocence. All right, I'm going to assume that whatever the, the other person does, that they did it in the most innocent way possible. Because where do we normally go? We assume the opposite. We go worst case scenarios. They said that, they probably meant this, which means they're saying it to that person, which means that this conversation happened, and now this is going to happen. And we're like, hold on a second here. We like just went through all these things. Assume innocence. In Ephesians 4 that we started the service with, it said, be humble. Being humble is looking at yourself and where you might be wrong before pointing fingers at others, all right? Maybe you've heard this one before. Every time you point one finger at someone else, you're pointing three fingers at yourself. All right, those of you that, three fingers, back at me, okay. All right, moving on. We need to realize, like, we need to look at ourselves. We need to look at ourselves first. That, that is the first place we need to go. The second step in dealing with conflict is to look at the gospel. All right, what, what does this mean? This means that there are tons of little things out there that we can get upset about. But does this situation actually have an impact on the message of Jesus? Does it hinder our mission? And this is important. All right, is Jesus offended by what you are offended by? Don't always assume that Jesus agrees with you on everything. Why does this matter? Because if you are going to disrupt unity in the church, it better be for the right reason. All right, if you have an issue with someone else and this is going to play out into a big conflict and there's going to be disunity, it better be because the gospel is at stake here. If not, you probably need to figure it out and work it out. This isn't fighting, it's peacemaking. And the purpose of peacemaking is unity. You need to be doing whatever conflict happens, whatever confrontation happens, it needs to be for the sake of unity. For every verse that you find about confronting someone, you're going to find one that tells you just to forgive someone. All right? Paul actually says this at one point. This is when he's talking about avoiding lawsuits with other Christians in 1 Corinthians 6. Verse 7, he says, Even to have such lawsuits with another is a defeat for you. Just to have the lawsuit, you've already lost. Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why not let yourselves be cheated? Instead, you yourselves are the ones who do wrong and cheat even your fellow believers. Those are strong words. Like, let yourself be cheated. This is Paul. It is better to just let yourself be cheated. I don't know about you, but that's not where my mind goes when I feel like there's an injustice in my life. To just let myself be cheated. Paul says that there are times where it's just better to let this go. When you look at the big picture of some of the letters that Paul sent, uh, his letter to the Romans had to do with internal disputes between the way things were done, Jews and Gentiles. 
All right, and in the end, he kind of just says, you need to work this out. You need to be able to have church together. Jews, Gentiles, different ways of doing it. All right, now you look at the letter of Galatians. It's much more harsh. Paul is like, get them out of there. Get, kick them out of the church. Why is that? Because in Galatians, he says, they are preaching a false gospel. There is a difference between having different ways of doing things and a false gospel. And one of those requires a very aggressive, this will not stand. And the other one probably is, I need to just not get offended about my own opinion. Is what you are offended by offensive to the gospel? The third step in dealing with conflict is to look at the way you are doing it. This is where Matthew 18 actually comes in now. Once we've gone through those first two steps, if you feel like it passes those, you go, you go to this one, you look at Matthew 18, and too often we jump right past those first two steps, assuming all of our motives, our feelings are pure and just. All right, the human heart is deceitful above all things. I always start by looking inward. Now, Matthew 18 does a great job of laying out this whole thing, and it's super important uh, because the absolute biggest hang-up in conflict resolution is this, gossip. Gossip hinders any resolution. We want to get others on our side. We want to strengthen our argument. We want to tell our story and shape the narrative. We want to make sure that everyone sees us as the victim and them as the person that has sinned against me. As if in, in any situation, one person's completely right and one's completely wrong. That hardly ever is the case. Right? There's always something we could do better. It's a two-way two street. Uh, my dad gave me some great advice once. I was in the middle of, I was about to be called into an office by a, a superior with someone else who had a complaint against me, and, and I felt like it was completely unjust and it was just kind of a nasty situation. And I was talking with my dad on the phone beforehand. And he said, well, here's what you need to do. You need to walk in there and you need to apologize for every little thing that you didn't do right and what you could have done better. So you need to own that. He said, you don't need to apologize for things that you didn't do. He said, but I guarantee you, you could have handled this situation better. And he was right. I started thinking about what did I do that, that fell short? It's, again, looking inward on these things. I did that. It still didn't really work out. It was a nasty situation. <laughs> All right. This person was out for blood. It was just a moment where you just have to say, there's not going to be a resolution. I'm going to apologize 20 times and then another 20 times, and they're still going to be mad at me, and that's the end of the day. All right? It just is what it is. And, and sometimes that happens. But I apologize for everything I had done. All right, also in handling conflict, even though it wasn't around 2,000 years ago, I rarely will say I believe something 100% if it's not in Scripture, but I'm going to say that right now. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say there is never a moment in a healthy, Christ-centered conflict resolution where any of this conflict should show up on social media. All right, I'm pretty sure if, con if social media were around 2,000 years ago, it would be in the Gospels, all right? It'd be saying, don't do that. That's stupid. Okay, conflict does not get resolved on social media. It gets worse. It gets worse. It gets worse. It gets worse. It should never show up on social media. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. 
Later on in Ephesians 4, Paul says this. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Listen, when it comes to resolving conflict, you can be right, and yet because of how you are doing it, you can be completely wrong. It doesn't matter if you actually are right in that situation, if you handle it wrong. You're wrong. That, that's how it works. And unfortunately, I think this is where most cases of any type of conflict that happens in the church end up, where people are just doing it wrong. The last step in conflict resolution, and I think this often gets overlooked because we are so focused on the conflict itself, is this. The fourth step in dealing with conflict is to look to the future. Too often we think about the conflict, we think about confronting someone, how good that's going to feel, right? That self-justification, be careful, that's not healthy. All right, and we don't stop and remember the purpose. The purpose in any of this is always unity. Unity. If you are having conflict with someone and your end goal is not unity, you need to take a step back and realize that something's not right. What does the situation look like a month from now, six months from now, a year from now? Paul actually mentions this in a side note of, of one of his letters. Uh, some guy was confronted about something he was doing in the church in Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says this, I am not overstating it when I say that the man who caused all the trouble hurt all of you more than he hurt me. Most of you opposed him, and that was punishment enough. Now, however, it is time to forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, he may be overcome by discouragement. So I urge you now to reaffirm your love for him. And Paul says, uh, continues on, he says this, he says, we do this for the, benef the church's benefit so that Satan will not outsmart us. Paul gets it. Satan can use disagreements. Uh, and he can use them for years after they are supposedly mended just by keeping seeds of bitterness in someone's heart. We need to deal with anything residual after the fact in our own hearts uh, and not give Satan any type of a foothold for the future, uh, any type of future offenses, anything like that, or to keep using the ones from the past. We need to look to the future of our lives, to the future of the other person's life. We need to look to the future of God's church as we deal with conflict. Worship team, you guys can come back up. Now, I will say this. I don't think, I don't think that Satan causes as much conflict in the church as we like to give him credit for. All right? The reality is we don't need his help. We create enough conflict just by being ourselves. Just by being humans in a fallen world with a sinful nature. We create conflict. We just do. Now Satan can use that. He can further it. Can he come in and create different things? Absolutely. But the reality is, is more often than not, 
We want to take the conflict in our lives, we want to overly spiritualize it, raise it up to this level, say it's a spiritual battle that is happening and I'm fighting against Satan in this. And God is just sitting there shaking his head saying, you're fighting against yourself, you dummy. Like, come on. I think so often these things are made worse because we focus on the other person. Like, think, think to a time of conflict in your life that you had with a person. How much of your mind and your thoughts were focused on them and what they did wrong? We want to look and we want to point out all the things uh, from their past, the ways that they hurt us. And when we do that, we drive the wedge between us even deeper. If you're taking notes and you look back on those four places, which one of those four places did we say we should be looking at the other person? None of them. None of them. When we focus on the other person, instead of shaping our response to how Scripture says we should do it, more often than not, we actually shape our response to their response. Well, they're responding in this way, so I better do the same. They're getting people on their side, so I better build up my army. They're going around and and talking trash behind my back, so I, I need to level the playing field here. And we handle things based on how the other person is handling it instead of the way that God has called us to handle conflict. If we as believers begin to focus more on the things that we can control in these situations, we will allow God to handle the things that are outside of our control. And if he isn't handling them the way that we want him to, then we need to take a step back and just realize, I maybe need to be okay with that. Maybe you need to walk away from that situation, from that person, from that church. Maybe you need to just walk away and not worry about being vindicated in anybody else's eyes. But as you walk away, we do it the way that Ephesians tells us to get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. Remember, They're going to know us by our love. That's what Jesus said. So here's where we are, every person in this room. There's a really good chance that as we dug into the Bible, uh, you might have some type of confrontation in your life. Maybe it is happening in the present. Maybe it's the very near past. Maybe it's the distant past. All right, and if you're going through something right now, maybe you're like, this is what I need to hear because I need to walk this out the way that God wants me to. Or maybe it was recently in the past and you're like, man, I, I just, I completely forgot about the fourth step. I need to look to the future in this conflict. How do I actually move out of this? How do I move towards unity? How do things become healthy again? Or maybe you're thinking back to something that happened a year ago, 5, 10, 20 years ago, and you're like, I I need to still deal with the bitterness that's inside of me because of this situation. And you need to look first at yourself. Is there something that I'm just hanging on to because of me? You need to look at the gospel and say, does this actually offend Jesus? The thing that I'm offended by, does this offend the gospel? Finally, you start looking at 
how am I handling this? Did I handle it wrong? What can I apologize for? Like, walk through these steps. Don't let that bitterness stay in your life. So I want us to do this. I want us just to kind of make a, a place where we are, where we can just connect with God. And I would like to do this, again, if you're willing and able, if you'd stand, just because I, I, I think as we stand across this place, something happens when we change our physical posture, where I think oftentimes, spiritually, the posture of our heart can then be, be ready and say, God, I, I, I want to do something here. I want something to change. So I want us to take a few moments here. And I want you to go to God. I want you to share with him maybe where you have fallen short in these areas of conflict. Maybe there is a reoccurring one that always happens with you and you need to deal with it. Talk to God about the hurts that you're still carrying with you. The things that are causing disunity in your life and maybe even in his church. And you know what? If your life has been great and you don't have conflict in your life, I mean, that's amazing. I don't know how you're doing it. But like, if that's you, then you know what? Be praying about, God, how can I help others walk through conflict? Or even if you have had conflict, what does this look like for the future for me to help someone else walk through conflict in their life? Worship team's just going to sing just a, a couple choruses here of a song we sang earlier. If you want to spend time just praising God, maybe you have a situation that you want to you want to just kind of like, I'm going to praise God right now over this situation. This is more important. Maybe you want to spend time just talking with God, whatever it is. I want us just to take a, a minute, two minutes here, just focus on God and say, God, I, I want you to deal with me and the areas of my heart that need to change. Let's do that. God, I pray that if there's a situation in our life that we need you to move in, God, that you would do it. God, if there's something in our heart that we need you to move in, that you would do it. God, if we've been carrying hurt with us, pain, bitterness, anger, whatever it is, Lord, help us to deal with that, not to continue carrying it around with us. God, and that as we move forward, that we would just truly walk out conflict in a way that is honoring to you, that other believers would look at us, people outside the church would look at us and say that they can still recognize us by our love. Lord, that they would recognize us by the fact that we can deal with conflict in a way that the world doesn't. And that that right there would be a testimony in and of itself that points to you. Last thing before we go, I want to give an opportunity. Maybe you're here today and you feel like you've never given God an opportunity in your life to truly work in your life, to be the Lord of your life, and to lead you in where you need to go. And this morning as we're talking, you're just feeling like, I need to make this decision. I, I need to go all in for God. I need to stop trying to live for myself. I need to stop trying to handle things myself, handle conflict in my own way. I want to just sell out and say, God, I'm yours, everything I have. If that's you this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. I'm not going to embarrass anybody, point anybody out. But if you're here this morning, you'd say, I want to go all in. 
I want to give my life to Jesus. I want him to lead me. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up this morning? If you're making that decision, I would love for you to connect with myself afterwards, uh, with me. I would love to just help you kind of get the resources you need to walk this out. This is not something we can ever do on our own. All right, would you join me as we close this morning in prayer? God, we pray that in the midst of a world that is filled with disunity, that is filled with conflict, that is filled with offense, Lord, that we would be just a shining light in the way that we handle it and walk it out. God, that we would be so different that people on the outside would look at us and just say, how are you even doing that? How are you fine just being cheated and walking away? How, how are you not fighting against this? And for us just to point to you and say, it doesn't matter because it's in his hands. I don't need to be vindicated in anybody else's eyes. God, let us just allow you to guide us this week in everything that we're doing. Jesus, we ask this in your name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for being here with us today. Uh, you guys are dismissed.